Welcome to Sober Nation FM, a podcast network dedicated to sharing experience, strength, and hope so that you may continue to live your best life of recovery. The Sober Podcast Network is brought to you by Sober Nation. Do you want to live a healthy, sober life? Sober Nation is the world's leading online recovery community. Find support, resources, stories of hope, and even an online treatment program at SoberNation.com. Live a happy life. Be comfortable in your skin and join the recovery movement. Once again, that's SoberNation.com. Now enjoy today's episode. All right. A little tired rendering. Carrie didn't even know who that I, was. <laughs> no, I didn't. No, I really didn't. didn't. You know, it brings back memories because I actually grew up. Um, not that far from um, his studio when he lived in Woodstock, New York. And so I actually know his wife pretty well. Now, but now they live in Hawaii. And oh, lucky, lucky, lucky bastards. I know. <laughs> but mm. he's touring all over the world. And I heard it. You know, I even thought about him today. I heard an interview with him yesterday. And he's talking. He's actually a, he was a teacher in residence at Notre Dame recently. Hmm. Teaching kids how to be creative. Can you teach creativity? You Well, you know what it is? Yeah, you sort of can. Because right now in this whole new type of education with um, trying to get kids to think critically, what's happening, though, I believe, is then we sort of lost the, the room to teach people how to be creative. Right. Can you teach people? Yeah, I think you can. Because your mind, you block your mind off right. for a lot of different things. We're not. We're in a very high-tech you know, world now. So I don't think... I mean, creativity is somehow getting lost. I Well, I would completely agree. And I don't know if it's just, <clears throat> for me, I think it's, I don't want to say my age, but I was very creative when I was younger. Yeah. Um, and then as I've gotten older, I've just kind of lost that drive, I guess you can say. Yeah, because I think you become, then you start worrying about things. And mm-hmm. I think to be creative, you really cannot worry. That's why there's starving artists and right, just starving, take starving musicians, because they really don't care about that. And they just mm-hmm. set their mind free. You know, to be creative. So he was he was actually at Notre Dame, which is a very conservative kind of school, um, as a artist in residence, teaching mm-hmm. people how to be creative and or just to try to tap into that. And I That's think that cool. was, it was pretty interesting. I so. think technology does play a part in it too, like you said. You know, if I've got downtime, I find myself, you know, screwing my time away on my phone or whatever. Right. When in the past, when I was younger, I would have like you know read or drawn painted or doodled something I, like that right. i still doodle when people are on the you phone doodle. with me i doodle i doodle a lot today we have uh speaking of doodling we have robert right here. what does that have to do with doodling the only reason i'm thinking <laughs> yeah because robert was and we'll give tj a plug you know my old friend tj so robert's getting a lot of work from tj hatch um i think that's her last name now who knows <laughs> it used that was a real name and then she ended up getting married few times i'm thinking but now she's so she's doodling on robert and it looks pretty good i actually thought it was a an elephant but it's not it was a he's whale. got this whole cp yeah it looks really good but yeah so robert this is a part two to our show that we had a while back um robert if you guys heard the first episode was involved in a, a drinking and driving accident that cost six people their lives and yeah last time we spent great uh, you know a good bit of time talking about what had led up to that event the accident itself and then briefly about what happened afterwards um and today we'll get a little bit more into his time in in prison and how he has you know how he's living life now yeah we ran out of time last time so you weren't here last week say last week i had my daughter's hair and they were adorable and Lindsay gives this whole speech about (laughs) factory farming they were cute and that's her big you know she's you know she would sit there and protest it if she could and 
Um, you know what I thought was funny though, because I think we have you and I have different views on the Dare program. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> I think you hold it in a higher regard than I do. Uh, but when you were asking your daughters what they learned in Dare, and they couldn't remember anything about drugs or alcohol, it was mostly like, "Oh yeah, like the pepper spray." Right. I'm like, "See, this is what people are taking away from the Dare program. Right. Nothing." <laughs> well, my one daughter did, but Lindsay was worried about getting pepper spray, and then Carrie texted me and said, oh, "I was pepper sprayed." I was pepper sprayed. Do you want to hear that story? We'll yeah, talk about ahead. that story. Yeah. So back when I was a teenager, um, I was having some issues, some behavioral issues, uh, likely connected to my substance use at the right. time. Um, but there was a domestic incident at my house, um, me being the perpetrator and the police were called. Wow. They came into my house while my father was holding me down until they got there. And I decided to kick the police officer, um, which resulted in me getting pepper sprayed directly in the ear canal really? and in the mouth. Okay. I didn't actually make contact. I like kicked out at him, but he was, that, that pissed him off obviously. But so yeah, right in the ear canal and then right in my mouth, um, the pain was excruciating. The mouth part or the ear part? In the ear. Wow. I mean, it was like right in my ear canal and burning. Um, they had to call the, the paramedics to come and treat me. I guess anytime they pepper spray somebody, they have to have a paramedic on hand as you well. Isn't that funny? We're going to hurt you and then we're going to treat you. Well, and it was fun. It, not haha funny, but so um, I just remember I had my hair down. I've got my hair in my eyes and there's pepper spray in my hair and I, it's hard for me to breathe and I've got this pain in my ear. And they, the ambulance comes and they, they give me water and whatnot. <clears throat> and I'm crying. And I wanted more water on my face because everything was still burning. Yeah. And the, the cop goes, oh, first it's F you and now it's I need more water. <laughs> yeah, he didn't have a lot of nice things to say about me. But uh, I do remember later that night uh, I had to stay at a friend's house because I was not welcome at my parents' house. Right. And I took a shower and nobody told me. Oh. <laughs> when you take a shower, don't let water go in your face because it reactivates that right. pepper spray. That's right. Yeah, I know so, that. So I will never forget that. So anytime no. I hear pepper spray, I think of that story. And Every time I hear pepper spray, I think of this the one time, I, you know, I had a date that went bad. <laughs> and, and you got pepper spray? Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was really, you know, young and didn't understand signals, <laughs> you know. But, uh, no, I'm just kidding. No means no, no, no means. <laughs> Well, she didn't speak English. And where'd she get that can of pepper spray? <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, um, so something I wanted to talk about today, just just briefly. Right. In, in the local news, there was a Canadago woman that was arrested with 25 bags of heroin and yeah. five, five hypodermic needles. This this woman has become like demonized right. on the internet. And all of a sudden now it's changed. Like she had like 50 bags or 100 bags. Oh, yeah. But the, the, the report that I read was 25 bags and five needles. Yeah. And people are like, you know, what was this scumbag doing with 25 bags? She was going to sell it. She was going to use it. That was like a day and a half habit of mine back in the day. I know. 25 bags is not, I mean, that's. that's I know. And and five needles. needles. At least she has five needles and not using the same one. Right. I just, you know, now her face is being spread all over the internet. I know. And people that have good intentions. Now, I've seen some people that I really respect sharing this article. But the more you share it. The more it's out there. Oh, right now she's a cartel <laughs> in Canandaigua right. sell, selling heroin. No, I know that was. Um, I saw that and I said, "Well, twenty five. Yeah, she's probably using a lot." And yeah, I mean, and you could tell. You could see her face. She's she's, she's an addict. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, she's twenty nine. She looks like she's thirty nine. Yeah, but uh, I couldn't understand yeah. the one. The one because during that same week was the people that kidnapped that girl. And the one guy looks very serious, and the one's really smiling. Like oh, if you're at right. yeah, if you're like in a mugshot, don't smile. 
like goofy like cuz <laughs> it's going to go everywhere. He looks serious and then this his partner you, you was got, really <laughs> you got it. You're, you're pretty ballsy. It says a lot about your character when you're smiling in a mugshot cuz I have several of them from from back in the day and I was certainly not smiling. Oh, I saw yours, yeah. Yeah. They're pretty intense. Yeah, it's there's there's quite a progression in just a couple of years you can see the progression from uh I don't want to say recreational use because it really was never recreational. Um, but you can see the rapid progression in my addiction. Yeah. Maybe yeah. you should post those someday. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe. No, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> you post every selfie of the world of you. But you don't post your mugshot. I actually don't. I'm not big on putting a lot of pictures of myself out there. I don't yeah. want to be that person. I see people that are constantly posting selfies, and I, I honestly think that there's some sort of disorder. There is. <laughs> well, they said that there's a connection between the number of selfies that you post and some mental conditions. Well, Mary, we, used, we had a friend that used to post every bathroom selfie in the world. I don't. Oh <laughs> my was. gosh! Yes. Yeah, she's she still f- my friend, not yours. Yeah, what is, was that? <laughs> I don't know what I did to you, and you know you're out listening. <laughs> but I have no. Yeah, that was an odd thing. Yeah. It just like disappeared. Um, also, I got interviewed by Channel Eight News. Yeah, tell me a couple about nights that. ago. Well, so our friend Yana from Recovery Fitness. Yeah. Kind of. I don't want to say she threw me under the bus, but she was out of state. In Georgia, and uh, someone wanted to interview her for for a story that they were doing, and she couldn't make it. So she said, "Oh, my friend Carrie will probably be able to help you out." Yeah. So I couldn't say no. I just felt I, I just felt like I couldn't say no. Um. So they interviewed me, and I didn't. I was told that it was going to be about the opiate epidemic. Right. Well, apparently they were doing a story on that woman that was told by the judge in Rochester that she can't have any more kids until she's clean and sober and has completed treatment or whatever. Really? Well, I didn't know anything about the story at the time. Politics and vagina. I don't know what's going on with this. Well, I didn't know anything about the story, so they're interviewing me and they're asking me about this and, you know, what I think about a judge being able to tell someone that she can't have any more children. I think I sounded like a, a, a babbling idiot <laughs> when they were interviewing Should have me because I was along. caught off guard. I hate when they do that. Yeah. It was interesting, though. So what was your take on it? Well, so I can completely see. I, I get what they were. I get where they were coming from. Yeah. Because especially where I work, I see day in and day out people coming through. They have, you know, handfuls of children, most who aren't even in their custody anymore. Or, mm-hmm. you know, their CPS cases, like active CPS cases. So I can get someone saying, look, do not reproduce until you've got yourself taken care of. Until Is that you're what better. you said? <laughs> No, no. So I can I can see because a lot of people in the yeah. community were applauding that judge's decision, and I get that that you're trying to protect the children in this case or any f- future children. But on the other hand, how is a judge? How, how can you? You th- can't. That just sets a scary precedent. Well, he can't. You know? Like he can't order that. Well, how do you how do you enforce that? You're gonna follow her around, make sure she doesn't procreate. Like, <laughs> right? Yeah, I don't even think you could do that. So I I. You know, the more time I thought about it, once I was actually able to read the article and see what happened, I, I, I get why that decision was made. And right. I understand why people in the community are applauding that. Because, you know, even me, I see people with multiple children. And I'm like, God, these poor kids. Like, stop having children. You can't even take care of yourself right now. Stop having kids. But, again, you know, you're right as a human being. Can someone actually tell you you cannot have any more children? Was that a, this a suggestion or did he actually... I believe that the, I believe that the judge stipulated that you cannot have any more children. I, and I don't, I don't know if you could do that. And I don't know what the consequence of the repercussion would be if right. she did get yeah. pregnant again. Wow. I don't know. But yeah. So I, I don't know. I don't even know if it actually aired or whatnot. But they've been running a couple stories on Channel 8 about. I have to pick it up. Yeah. 
He was it like a, it was probably a, was it a Sunday morning show? No, it was going to be on the eleven o'clock news. I believe this was I don't know Monday night. Oh, but then there was something else that that, that was a priority. Yeah, like so. the Russian thing with Trump <laughs> or oh something. My gosh. Something going on. That's a mess. I'm gonna. You Where's know, the circus music? Dun, 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 yeah, dun, dun, you know what's scary dun, dun. about this whole thing? I saw a thing, a tagline recently. It says, "What if something really does happen?" You know, like some crisis actually happens right now in the world, but right. we now have to be responsible to handle it. How crazy that will be! Because this, we're not even doing anything right now. He's just talking. Could you imagine <laughs> if we get like doing a lot we have, of it too, <clears throat> like of a nine eleven event? Not 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 that that would, right. we hope that doesn't happen, but some major thing that happens, and he has to handle it. I just can't even. I don't even know. Maybe he'll do fine. He has enough, you know. There's a lot of crazy people he surrounded himself with. And, you know, sometimes a bunch of crazy people together make a good decision. Well, look at you and I. <laughs> right. <laughs> we <laughs> well, make yeah. good decisions sometimes. Yeah, I mean, we should just join that cabinet. Um, what else do I want to talk about? Well, you know what? It's so funny because um, we're still dealing with a lot of deaths in the community. Just had another one, a, client, a former client of mine. Yeah, it's sad. Passed away this week. Very, very, very sad. And it's... um. You know, Carrie and I talked about, you know, the op- opiate epidemics taking care of itself, not in a, the best way in the world, but it's, um, this is this wrong. I don't know how we're going to, we'll get through it. We've gotten through several other, you know, epidemics in the past. But. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I, I continue to say, and it makes me slightly angry, but it's just, it's running its course. You know, everybody's up in arms. What are we going to do? What are we going to do now? Well, it, <laughs> The problem started years and years ago. Right. This is in. It's y- yeah. It started. You know. It started with a. Well, it started with about three doctors and a <clears throat> zest to make money. I mean, with uh, you know, taking opiates and turning into a pain med. But yeah. Um. Well, it's sad that you know, and I'm I'm not going to say her name for obvious reasons, but the young lady that just passed away this week. Uh, her story started when she was a teenager. She had back problems. Legitimate documented back problems i believe it was scoliosis yeah and um long story short she got hooked on pain medication as a teenager right and it resulted in a, a, a eventual progression to heroin and now she's dead and she was very young very yeah young. no it is sad it's sad that's why all our other our other shows on this uh, station you know, they're trying not to be sad anymore. They got offshoots. We got to get an off. What could be an offshoot from this show? Because I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to, you know, the stripper thing. That'd be nice. But, you know, what do we, <laughs> we have to figure out something. We, maybe we just don't. I just but, think we don't. I think we're enough. We are enough. We have to. I think to, we're enough. We're enough. I don't know what it, what we could do. I mean, I don't really, other than this and. I think we do enough in our outside lives. Yeah, we were I just talking a, about that earlier, too. Like, you know, for me, there's got to be a balance. <clears throat> Between my my personal life and my involvement in the recovery community, I know there's a lot of people that are just all in a hundred percent, and for me that's just not healthy. I like having my life outside of, you know, the recovering community. Yeah. I think it's important to be involved. I think it's important to be an advocate. You know, and obviously we're doing our part um, yeah. in the recovering community. But for me, I just can't be all in. Yeah. I gotta have I gotta have my own life, my own independence outside of recovery because we're more than that. You know, my big belief is, you know, I don't even identify as an addict or an alcoholic. Was I an addict at one point? Right. Yeah, I was. 
Um, was I an alcoholic at one point? Absolutely. But it doesn't identify your life. But I'm not currently. And, and I get that. I'm sure people are listening and like, oh, you know, well, dude, she's, right. she's one step close to a relapse. But it's, you know, I'm a person. I'm Carrie. There's a lot that makes me me other than the fact that I was once addicted to drugs and alcohol. Yeah. You maybe know? that's, you know, because we we're being not haunted by a person who wants to do a small movie about us. Maybe that's how we should be the, that should be the presence of that. Then yeah. it's not just that, it's everything else. You're more than that, you know, and, and everybody's different and we always say there's no right way to recover, but that has, what I believe has sustained me is my identity outside of yeah. being a person in recovery. Right, because you, you do know? a lot of things. Yeah, and I'll never forget where I came from, as they like to say, you know, I'll never forget where I came from and what I've been through, but it's not my my whole life. It doesn't define right. me as a person and um, yeah. Right. I'll give my plug now. I have a movie coming out in <gasps> March. What? Filling in. So if you go on. Texas Chainsaw Massacre 8? No, I would. No. <laughs> no, I, I hope I can get. So if you're out there and you're thinking about doing Texas Chainsaw Massacre 8, <laughs> I'm free for this summer. I'm not ob- obligating myself. No, it's a it's a comedy and um, you can the, the, the trailer's on. You can Google the trailer for what is filling it? in. I can't tell you the whole story. Can you, can you tell us the name? Filling in. Oh, it is called Fill. Okay, sorry. Filling in. I missed that. Um, so I'm in. Even in the trailer, you could see me, which I thought was pretty. There's so many things cool. running through my head right now. <laughs> right. <laughs> what are you no, filling in, Joel? No, I, that, it's not. It's actually a kids movie. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so, so you dirty thing. <laughs> not that I haven't been in those. <laughs> no, I haven't. I've been in one. I was in one before this one, and I don't even know what happened to it. I got to actually check. And that was a zombie movie, yeah. and I get killed in it. But filling in, I play a, I'm like a bar, a tattooed bar guy, okay. and then I'm also a businessman. And it's so. So, art imitating life? Art imitating life. A little bit. I mean, you're life. not a bar guy, but you're a tattoo guy and yeah. also a businessman. Yeah. So, I don't know. I'll take another role. I don't know. What, I'm, I want to get into another movie. I liked. I actually like doing that, because um, I really don't tattoo much anymore. We're gonna tattoo Carrie on the air. Mm-hmm. You know, she's gonna wear a holster and a. We're gonna figure this out. <laughs> we, it's just an excuse for me to get another tattoo. But you know, but we don't. You can't see it. You'll just hear the buzzing sound. I can go live, Facebook live. Yeah, I guess we could do. Nobody that. Nobody cares. I mean, no one really cares about me getting tattooed. But we're gonna do it yeah, eventually. We'll do it. It'll be a lot of fun. Um, what else is there? I don't know. I think might now might be a good time to switch over because I know last time we started to we cut time close with Robert because he has just so much to to share and to offer. So when he come on, yeah. So we come back. We'll bring on Robert. Robert. We're back. Every time I hear that song, I always think of Mike Deuce's wife, Melissa, who is a beautiful woman. Right? You know her. I don't know her. Oh, sorry. I know Mike Deuce. He gave me one of my first tattoos. <laughs> yeah, great. What a great couple. But every time I hear that, and I always think of her. Not that I'm after your wife, Mike, but we have really <laughs> beautiful people. So, and we have Robert back with us for part two of... Uh, yes. And why do I have a feeling that we're going to end up with a part three eventually? I yes, because so. Robert brought a unicorn with him. 
I brought a... Yeah, who's, uh, who's, our, who's, who's your guest? This is my uh, daughter's pink unicorn, Amelia. Oh, she wow. Had, she said if, uh, if I was going to go on the radio, she'd like me to bring this with her. So Aww. Amelia can't say hi, but um, she doesn't talk. So. <laughs> She's sending out the vibes, though. She's, gonna... She's here. She's supporting Robert. She is sending out the vibes. She has a face for radio. <laughs> People so, were really so, into your your story. You were actually yeah. one of the top five episodes that oh, we've had mm. um, as far as views go. And I, you know, last time we we talked about uh, kind of your life before the accident. Yeah, we talked the, a little bit about yeah. the accident itself, and yeah. and uh, as we said earlier before break, those that are just tuning in now, um, Robert was involved in a drinking and driving accident um, in which there were six fatalities and. He spent some time in prison as a result, and on the last episode, we talked a little bit about his time in prison, and we yeah. talked a little bit about what he's doing now. He's become a, a, a drug and alcohol counselor. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, we're just going to like turn it back to you. Maybe you can talk a little bit more about that time in prison and how your your life is now and how you're living a sober life. And My life is awesome now. Yeah. It's incredible. Um, I, I was thinking one thing that uh, – the first thing that sort of comes up when I tell people the story is uh, – you know there were there were six fatalities and uh and i hit nine people all together there were uh, three other people that were severely injured and uh and so i was incarcerated from 2003 to 2012 and one of the first things that people ask is like was that enough time you know right um, right which is a really fair question i mean and and so i spent a lot of time you know uh locked up thinking about like what what is the right amount of time to lock people up for crimes, which is because it's so different. You know, you can uh, be locked up with one person who's, you know, committed a murder, who's doing the rest of his life in prison and somebody else who's committed a murder, who's going to do 14 years, mm-hmm. you know? So, right. So the, the disparity there is really interesting. Um, and prisons are sort of my passion. I, I think that we're at a, a really dark place in our culture where prison, I believe strongly in prison reform. Yeah. I, I used to call myself a prison abolitionist, but, uh, I'd, I stopped doing that because it made people <laughs> stop talking to you as soon as you say that. Oh, right. Sure. <laughs> you know? uh, and so I started thinking, like, the question isn't, is it enough time? It's um, uh, what do we hope to get out of our prison system? What are we, what are we hoping to achieve there, you know? And I mm-hmm. think... And and I think that conversation certainly needs to be had because I, I think we're not really sure what we're doing with prisons. I think that we watch a horrible story on on the news. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I was thinking the one that I heard was uh, when I was listening to your show earlier was uh, some somebody who got caught smuggling heroin or cocaine in their kid's diaper or something. And, yeah. and the, right. the, the reply to that is, oh, they need to go away for, you know, <laughs> for ever. the rest so of their life. Horrible right. thing to do. And, and when I hear that, I think, oh, that's a really sick person. You know? Right. Um, that's a really a desperate act. And and so I think there's where we need to start is like, what are we doing with compassion, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so with my own thing, I, I thought um, – I needed to focus while I was in prison on um, being, I needed to be sober, obviously, and I needed to focus on being the kind of person that I wanted to be in the world. Um, at the same time, it's prison, so you're sort of thrown into, it's a survival situation, you know. Um, it unfortunately has to be. but uh, So I don't, I don't know. I, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it's I, interesting because I, I always mm-hmm. believe that the time that people do is based on the intent of the crime. So if there's people that are obviously sick, drug and alcohol, I think that should be looked at. I think it's a difference when you have someone who has an intent 
to hurt or kill yeah. somebody, yeah. and that's just their intent. That I think the that's a safe that's a more of a public safety factor, mm-hmm. and that has to be judged or you know sure. yeah. the yeah. term yeah. of that should be different than I'd, someone who's ill. I had a, a very good friend, Dino, who had been locked up since nineteen. Uh, I want to say fifty-seven. He missed many skirts. <laughs> you know. Wow. Yeah. yeah wow. Yeah. And uh, it, it was a really nice, gentle person. But his crime was horrific. And at and when he went into court, he he was so down on himself. He sort of cussed out the judge, and he was seeking mm-hmm. the death penalty. He was given the death penalty, and his mother had begged him to try to have it overturned, which eventually it was. And then his mother passed away, so he's sort of stuck in prison for life. Oh. Um, at that point, at the time we were hanging out, he would have he would have preferred the death penalty. You know? I right. could see that. I've always yeah. said that if I <clears throat> was sentenced to life in prison, I would rather have the death penalty than be in jail for the rest of my life. But yeah. I don't know. Maybe yeah. it's a different situation when you're actually dealt that sentence. I don't know. So w- one of the things he had said that uh, I thought was pretty profound was he said, you know, they, they say we were, we're judged by a jury of our peers. And he said, but uh, um, we shouldn't be judged by a jury of our peers. I don't want to be judged by a jury of my peers. Most of my peers are not that smart. Right. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, I want to be judged by people who have sort of studied what's going to be the best outcome for this person. Right. Maybe we work towards a more meritorious prison system. So you go in and they say, all right, who is this person? And and what do we want to see this person achieve when they come out? So education and, mm-hmm. and absolutely, you know, other things. So. I'm it, sort of dreaming out loud yeah. here. <laughs> well, no, and I, I right. this is, this hits close to home for me too, because my capacity where I work right now, at least once a day, I'm meeting with somebody that has recently been released from prison. And it yeah. could be two years in prison, or it could be 37 years in prison. And I will always ask them what their experience was like. Yeah. And for the most part, it was not a great experience. And it was not very conducive to, you know, rehabilitation or to returning to society. Um, which is unfortunate. Yeah, yeah. And I actually just had a guy the other day. He had uh, he used marijuana and some cocaine prior to his incarceration. Yeah. Picked up a heroin habit in prison. Right. Yeah. Now yeah. he hasn't used cocaine in years, but has an active uh, heroin mm-hmm. use yeah. disorder. Yeah. Yeah. I always felt like um, I, I did a lot while I was in prison. I did take there were courses offered to me and I took correspondence courses and I um, uh, just did a I read a book every every two days you know yeah i'm I'm sort of a a specialized in russian classics there was there was a small library and i read everything i could get my hands on but i always felt like you um if you did something that was sort of uh i don't know if you if you got better while you were in prison it was in spite of the prison system not Mm -hmm. because of it and that sounds a little harsh because there were classes offered but the classes were usually brought in by a community college and they were brought in by teachers that weren't capable of working at a community college. Right. And that sounds terrible. Right. No, that's no. true. But, um, so a lot of times I would just go sit in a classroom for six hours and we would watch the food network, you know? Right. And that was our, col- that was my, yeah, that was my culinary experience. I, I, I have an associates and, <clears throat> and, yeah. uh, and, uh, culinary and that, comes from many hours of watching the Food Network. Wow. And to, to, to clarify for people that didn't listen to the first episode, you were not in a New York State prison. No, no. You yeah, were down yeah. south. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But I was actually in a pretty um, uh, um, progressive prison system. So right. uh, for a while I was in the in a dog program. You guys have heard of these. And that was a pretty, that was actually one of the better things I saw in prison where they would bring in 
dogs from a local uh, shelter. Sure. Yeah, and you'd spend, we had two trainers and we'd spend, you know, the whole from 6 a.m. in the morning until 10 o'clock at night with that dog. And you'd walk around the prison and other prisoners, you know, my, uh, like my friend Dino who had been locked up forever, hadn't seen a dog that wasn't a search dog in, Aww. you know, 40 years. So he he would pet the dog and start crying, you know. It was, right. So that was one of, the, one of the better things I saw, you know. How did you utilize your time? So I, you, you did eight and a half years, correct? Yeah. Uh, how yeah, how yeah. did you utilize your time while you were in prison? I did. I was busy morning and night. Uh, you know, I, I spent so long, so um, just broken, lying on a couch or a bar stool getting, getting high, mm-hmm. you know. And, I, and when I, the first two years I was, I mean, I was really suicidal. Uh, I, it was, I was consumed with it. I just couldn't imagine how I was going to live. And, uh, then at some point I had this sort of epiphany where I thought if this, if the roles had been reversed, if I had been the person killed and the drunk driver was incarcerated, what would I want to see them do with their life? And I became really driven, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I, uh, I would wake up in the morning, I'd tear through books, I'd, uh, write, uh, voraciously, you know, I, I just, everything I I do, I've, I started I quit smoking at the time. They we we could smoke, uh, you know, cigarettes in prison. Rollies, yeah, yeah, Rollies, yeah, right. yeah. I, I mean, I, that was a. Uh, I thought roll ups were the best thing to ever happen to a cigarette. You know, <laughs> right. you know, you get to fidget all the time. And, you know. So I, I, um, so somewhere around two two thousand eight, I thought I started thinking. You know, when I was a kid, I used to love running, um, and I thought maybe I've always been a runner, and I just didn't know it because I've I've been smoking cigarettes this whole time. So. I quit smoking in 2008, and I went out on the yard, and I started running, and it was horrible. <laughs> you know, it was like right. the worst thing. I, I made it from one side of the fence to the other. I was like, I'm going to die. This is terrible, you know? And uh, and I went out the next day, and I did it again, and I was uh, riding Kara, who was now my now my wife, but at the time, she was a very good friend. And, and we're going to talk about that, too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I, I was riding her saying, you know, uh, uh, you know, wouldn't it be great if I could run like a whole mile, you know? And so mm-hmm. so I do this every day. I bought I bought some shoes off a friend out on the yard for $8, you know? And uh, and I and I got better at it. And I started running one lap and then another. And I started, uh, eventually it became, I was running like 90 laps. I started, I found an article in a newspaper. I didn't know what a marathon was. So I found an article in a newspaper that was about an, a female astronaut who had just run the first marathon in space. She had done it on a treadmill, and it mentioned that a marathon was 26.2 miles. So I... I figured um, out how many laps I was in the... I, I actually... This, <laughs> this is not a great way to be popular in prison, but I talked this uh, assistant superintendent into walking the yard with me so I could measure out the the, the fence. Right. You know? That's awesome. Yeah, so I'm so walking the entire fence with the su- assistant superintendent with every inmate on the yard going, oh, he's a snitch. Right, know? right. right. So, uh, but I had been there long enough. People kind of knew me and left me alone. Right. And so I'd, I'd measured that out and I started uh, training for marathons and... Wow. Uh, I think in 2000, oh, I don't remember the year. I think it was 2009, um, I ran, a, without anybody knowing, we, my Kara and I had arranged to a fundraiser for Mothers Against Drunk Driving, and uh, I would run a marathon in prison. And How many laps is that? I think it was 186. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. One after the other. Wow. And I had like four friends that knew about it. That I wanted to keep it really quiet because it was really for me, you know. Right. And, we ended up raising $5,000. Um, That's incredible. Well, so then Mothers Against Drunk Driving contacted the paper and they, you know, they were doing their march. And so they, they, 
they wanted to do a story. So they contacted the superintendent who called me to his office and he was so angry, you know, and he was like, what did you do? You know? <laughs> right. And I said, I, I just ran a marathon. It's just crazy. We, right. we, we, just it, was a, it was, it was a good thing. And he's like, well, nobody can prove it. And I was like, I, I don't care if you prove it. I did it for me. You know? Right. So, so he was, um, they were threatening to lock me up for it, to put me in the hole for, um, Oh my God. Yeah. Because we're, you're not supposed to raise money from in prison, you know? Right. So, uh, yeah, wow. so so it was also that kind of. They attitude. couldn't tell that day when you just kept on going around. <laughs> well, like, right? I always thought, like, it, I would it, pick it you up. Know, I was running past the guard towers all the time, you know, right. and, I, and I always thought at some point they're going to be like, "No, no, you don't." <laughs> you know, you're, right. you're not training to run marathons while you're in prison because you know I was in minimum custody and figured right to bring it. He's running. He's trying <laughs> to see. Run, that's what kills me because you want. I would. You would want people doing these things, bettering themselves. Yeah. You know, you got into running, and personally, I know that you got into meditation. Yeah, yeah, I started practicing a lot of meditation. Uh, yeah, and I had contacted this again was at the when I was moved to minimum custody, but I'd contacted a local Zen center, and eventually I worked up a way where they would come and um take they could pick me up and take me out, and uh, so I would go to the Zen center at least once a week, and wow, which was the biggest break from prison because everything's yeah. so loud all the time, and I think it was very emotional. The very first time I went, um, I I was sitting on a meditation cushion, and they came in and they rang a bell and lit incense, and I. And it was quiet, you know, with like a room full of people. I just couldn't, it was a, I still remember that moment of like, I couldn't believe there was quiet, you know. Wow. Mm-hmm. How, um, how often would you meditate while you were in prison? Um, pretty constantly. Uh, again, I would wake up early in the morning. I'd sit for 40 minutes. Um, I, so this was uh, sort of interesting. Uh, it's, a, it's such a long story, but my wife and I had met through writing. Uh, we became really good friends and, um, when I graduated, I was in medium custody from, from college. They, I said, you know, my parents are going to be here and you're, you're friends with my parents and maybe you, you could all come and, yeah. and see each other. So she came, she was in a uh, postdoctoral medical residency at the time. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So she, um, she came from South Carolina, Charleston, South Carolina. My parents came from Alabama. And it, even then, it wasn't. We had never seen a picture of each other, so it wasn't. Oh, really? No. So this was wow. Because I know nothing. that there was the family connection. She wasn't just some random stranger that yeah, started it, writing you. It was sort of. It was sort of a magical story. It, um, my Kara had uh, been going through a pretty um, uh, hard time of divorce at, uh, at many years ago when my parents lived in Fishkill, New York, and they lived on top of this mountain. And my mother and her sort of became friends during the time. My mother would go over and say, "Why don't you come over and can foods with me or yeah. you know, do stuff?" And, and so they became pretty close, and then they split up. They they moved away from each other, and Kara moved to South Carolina. My parents went to Alabama, and they hadn't really talked to each other. And it was really before the internet was what it is today. Right. So so they just lost contact. Right. And um, Kara had started having these uh, nightmares in 2003 about my mother. And hmm. so she tracked her down, and she called her, and she said, I, I'm having these really horrific nightmares about you. Is everything okay? And, and it had been like two or three weeks after the accident. Wow. My, my mother said, well, my, my son's been in this uh, car accident, and I, I just don't know what I'm going to do, you know. And uh, Kara asked how she could help, and my, and my mother said, well, you know, no, right now he doesn't need, I, I don't know what we're going to do. I was, again, suicidal on the, at the time. So um, she said, you know, stay in touch with me and maybe later. So eventually I was writing a lot about prison, and uh, my mother was, like, typing these things up and emailing them out to the world. So I felt like I had this sort of voice. Right. And eventually I got this letter that said, hey, you don't know me, but I used to be friends with your mother, and um, we lived on this mountain. If you want somebody to write, we'd be happy to write each other. And we became this sort of diary that answered back. So there was nothing, you know, we had a rule of, like, you can't, in her case, she couldn't delete things, and I couldn't, you know, 
mark things off and and so I'd write a letter and I'd just drop it in the mail and right. uh, and that went on for years so it, there was nothing romantic we were talking about like the Israel Palestine conflict right. whatever just anything <laughs> right um, oh, that's sorry right. that, that can get romantic yeah 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 <laughs> uh, so eventually she came and even then that wasn't it wasn't like a love at first sight thing it was sort of but over time she started coming more and more frequently and. And eventually, we wrote this, these letters they crossed in the mail that was sort of a confession of, I, I think I'm in love with you. And, and she got the letter about the same time I did. So it's all just oh like gosh. a movie, right? Yeah, it really is. That <laughs> yeah, is a movie. Yeah. And uh, we knew we eventually we'd get married. And, wow. uh But we prison weddings are ugly and they don't last. And so we were like, well, just do it after we get out. But she was coming every week. She was driving six hours each way every week while in residency. Wow. And, uh, and it was... If we got that, was a, I was up for home passes, but you had to go out with a family member. So we were like, you know, we'll just get married, and, yeah. and that way we can spend twenty four hours together. You know? Right. And uh, and so we had arranged this wedding. We were going to have it at the chapel and uh, at the prison, and they said you could bring like I don't know twenty four people. I can't remember how many. And uh, the and I was practicing a lot of meditation. I was going to the Zen Center a lot, and um, the. Two days before the wedding, I think, my mother got a call and said, we just heard about this wedding. It's not going to happen. You know, and my sister had brought about airline tickets. We got people coming from all over the wow. country. And, and well, how was it not going to happen? They, the prison <laughs> administration had decided this really? is not going to go yeah. on, not here, you know. Well, I was still available. I could still go out on a pass. And um, so I, I, Kara's crying. I'm upset. You know, I get mad. I'm said, I'm going to go sit on my cushion. I'm, and yeah. I never get up. You know, I never get up for my for my meditation. But so I went and I sat down and I'm staring at the wall. I'm counting my breaths. And all of a sudden, I realized I could go on a pass to the Zen Center. Kara could go on a pass to the Zen Center. We could get married. They couldn't do a thing about right. it. Right. So, so we had two days to plan a wedding. So uh, it was so they. It was amazing. It was magical. Uh, we had this beautiful Buddhist wedding at the Aww. Chapel Hill Zen Center. Uh, my parents came to pick me up at the prison. Um, they had stayed a ho- at a hotel overnight, and and uh, they went out to get in the car to go pick their son up from prison and take him to his wedding. You know, <laughs> and their battery was dead. Oh, right. So wow. this, yeah. So so this, they're like, uh, they're panicking. You know, they've got to be at the prison on time. And the, this guy's in the parking lot. And he's like, well, I can, I can help you. I can give you a ride. And where, where do you need to go? And they said, well, we need to pick up my son so we can take him to this wedding. And he said, great. Where's he? Where, where's he at? Well, he's at the prison. And so, so my parents show up with this guy named Jack or something like that. It was like, I, I, I'm signing out of the gate, and I'm like, who's this guy? And they're like, shut up, never mind. We'll tell you when we get to the car. You know. Wow. So, this is so similar to my first marriage. That's why. That's why I tell Incredible. So you get married at the Zen Center. Yeah. yeah. Did you get to spend time with her afterwards? Yeah, we got to spend a whole day together. So, so we uh, it had to be very rigorously planned so that the prison (laughs) could come check on you. So we had we got to go to like a coffee shop and my um uh I forget what she was called caseworker sort of yeah uh, you know actually showed up at the Zen Center right before the wedding to make sure I was there. Saw, you know, uh, there must have been 80 people there that were all thrilled. And she was so overcome with joy, you know, that she gave me this huge hug. She was very nice at the time. So it was was really sweet, you know. So it was like the prison sort of said, yeah, "Yeah, this is okay too. And yeah. Yeah, Wow. What would you say to those people? Because obviously (laughs) there were, were people, and I'm sure are people that would hear this and say, you know, how is that fair that you were allowed to you know, get married while you're in prison. You yeah, you took yeah. lives from these people, yeah, and here you yeah. are. You How know, do you have a happy life? Creating a new right. life. Yeah, yeah. 
you know, yeah. and obviously I know you personally. I think sure. this is fantastic because I think yeah. it helps you be established when you get out of prison and yeah. it helps you be, helps you become the person you are but now. But what I did was horrific, you know. So how, like, what would you say? Like, how how did you, having those privileges, that freedom to yeah. meditate, to run, to get married, how did that help you when you got released? Um, My whole... uh Oh, I want to use a big fancy word here. No, go ahead. Uh, my raison d'etre, my, yeah. my reason to be in the world has become to help other people. And, right. And I think that is, um, I mean, I believe that's what we're all here to do. Right. Kind of, you know, I, that's why this show exists, right? Yeah. Um, and we, we do that by, by being, um, joyful ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, if I'm walking around miserable all the time, just, um, you know, wearing my hair shirt and, right. and beating myself, it's, there's no attraction. There, yeah. You know, um, there, there's life after recovery and it's a good life. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, um, it, it's a happy, just joyful place to live, yeah. you know, all the time. And, and I feel like I, I owe that constantly to, to the, um, to my victims, not mm-hmm. just the people who were killed, but, um, to, to their family members, the people they love right. and to my own family as well, you know, yeah. it's, and, and to the world, you know, that, that we wake up, um, every day to, 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 Pass on love and kindness right. and peace and compassion and understanding. I was going to ask you something too, because you said um, six people had passed, but you had three other people that were yeah, survived. Injured, Did yeah. you ever have any any communication with them after the incident? Um, I'm trying to think of that. I, I had some communication with some people. I, you know, there was a point where um, I was trying to get in contact with everybody, and many of their attorneys actually said, uh, "Please, please don't ever contact them." Right. I had asked their attorneys, "Like, could you, could you um, right. put me in t- contact with them because I'd like to make amends?" And 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 they were very clear, and they they never wanted to hear from me again. And okay. So I've tried to. I mean, that's becomes your amend, right? right. Yeah. Is uh, well, and yeah. I, you know, I. <laughs> I just knowing you personally, I mean, you're you're a beautiful soul. You are doing good work. I know you you help people day in and day out. And I just think people that would say, oh, you know, he should be locked up in a cell mm-hmm. 23 hours in one hour out. Well, I can't even imagine what you would be like had that been your life for eight mm-hmm. and a half years and you were just the doors were open and you were let go. I mean, talk about being a miserable. I mean, yeah. do you think that you would have been able to maintain your sobriety had your life been a caged animal? <laughs> Um, I think I was really so affected by, by the accident that I, I was going to be sober no matter Regardless. what, you know, okay. and, and I tell people that, you know, I, I think I work a really good program, but I, I think I don't do a program to be sober anymore. I'm going to be sober. That's my vow. Period. You know, yeah. um, I, I work a program because I want to have a good life, yeah. you know, and, and I have, you know, my my daughter's story. Um, I have her Amelia with me because I have a good life. Yeah. You know? right. Can you tell us a little yeah. bit about your life now for people that are listening yeah. that yeah. may be in a dark place? What is your uh, life like right now? So this is, I'm a substance abuse counselor and, uh, and I have people in my groups that are, um, you know, they're broken, they're hurting. And, 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 and it's so, uh, I don't, you know, I, you always want to just, you want to tell them like, this is where it can go because, because they can't see like that, this is ever going to get better. Not when you're right. there, mm-hmm. you know, it, there's mm-hmm. just no way to see that, you know? Exactly. Um, I, you know, I, I, I'm madly in love with my wife. She's, she's, uh, she's amazing. She's my biggest support. She's my biggest fan. And she's also my best friend. We just have a really good time together all the time. We have great conversations about everything still. So those letters never stopped, you know, that's wonderful. Um, we both continue to write, uh, 
I, uh, I think, I think it was almost a year after we got out, uh, that we decided to try to have a child and, and, uh, and we couldn't, you know, we're, and so, uh, so what happened was we eventually ended up getting a golden retriever and that's when we found out that we were pregnant. Oh my God. <laughs> Not funny. Bring a dog in. Yeah, and he's, pregnant. he's exactly nine months older than my daughter. Yeah, <laughs> it always works that way. Yeah. And, and I was never that guy that was like, Oh, I got to have kids. You know, I, right. I was never that guy, I, you know, but my, my wife's so nurturing at, that I thought it would be really neat if she was a mother, you yeah. know, and, and, uh, and my daughter's hysterical. And so. Yeah, I actually, I, my, Kara would tell you I never have a bad day. Yeah. You know, I have bad moments, uh, because I'm human and, mm-hmm. and I get hurt and upset. I, I recently had to get off of Facebook entirely because I'm so traumatized by everything that's been going on. Oh, <laughs> you know? in the world? Or, yeah, yeah, just, uh, uh, I don't think it's real, but it's all. <laughs> maybe, maybe I should hang out with Joel more. Yeah. I don't believe any of that's real. Yeah. So, but, so I get upset and angry and frustrated as much as anybody, but I think I have, um, I have the, capacity to manage those feelings now and i don't think i had that when i was using you know i, I think um you, i sort of felt like i felt things more when i was using like i maybe there was a sense of like seeing too much at once mm-hmm. so so i couldn't watch the evening news without sort of bursting into tears and right and now that i have a way of managing that which is usually i just turn off the television and walk <laughs> right. away right. At least you know to do that yeah yeah, yeah. So, hey, you walk away from it but no it seems like you um you are you are a very interesting person. I know I met your wife briefly, right? Yeah, at yeah. Our, we had to bring her on. Yeah, yeah. She, well, she was we'll hoping to come on today. She, she's got a cold, and and uh, and we couldn't find a babysitter. So. Uh, we will do right. a part three because I think yeah. we'll get we'll get her on here, and, and then you guys can talk about like her perspective because yeah, I know yeah. you said she has a very unique perspective. Well, she she sat outside those fences, you know, waiting to come in for visitations for years, and and got to see the family side of it because I, I think that's the other misconception right is we see something on the news and we're like that person needs to go away and and we don't realize that we're sending their family away too yeah you know right um, i didn't nobody goes to prison alone you know when i called home every phone call i made cost me ten dollars mm-hmm. you know cost, yeah. not me cost my family ten dollars thirteen dollars yeah. you know oh, i guess me yeah. choked up i just i mean i i never did time in prison but yeah. I, I i did do some time in, in county jails and i just you know, I was a late teens, early twenties, and I just remember calling home to my my mom, and I was just sobbing and sobbing, and yeah. please get me out of here, please. I'd I'd rather be dead, and all this stuff. And years later, my mom was able to tell me what that was like as a parent hearing their child yeah. on the phone. Yeah, yeah, I can't imagine. You yeah. know, and so I can't imagine. I yeah. just, yeah, I would love to get your wife on here. Yeah, and that side. and that and that side is really important because we ha- we actually hear lots of stories of people getting out of prison having you know either better lives or worse lives. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, but, but the families are impacted, you know, yeah. and, uh, no, yeah. that's great. So tell me a little bit about what, what are you getting done on your uh, tattooing? I'm just knowing oh. you were, you were like, uh, before I met, when you first came on, you had nothing, right? Yeah, I'm getting there. We're, we're slowly doing a What is that going to be? Um, well, cause I, you, it's, it's sort of like earthy and yeah, there's a lot. It's really just a bunch of stuff that are, <laughs> that are sort of individually mm-hmm. important to me, you know? So, mm-hmm. so I have like a, uh, a writing feather and i'm vegetarian so i have a vegan. you are a vegetarian yeah, yeah really did you pick that up no I've been veg- i was a vegetarian for like 25 years wow so, yeah yeah so the so um and it's hard you have to um claim religious diets you're they did that in yes, jail to get yes. a vegetarian diet so so i was actually buddhist before i was buddhist because <laughs> i learned, that I, I, learned well, that I learned that i needed to say yeah. i was a certain religion i learned that i needed to say i needed a bland diet yeah because right. i 
you know, it's funny that right, <laughs> the little you gotta, tricks they that you would only yeah. let, right. You just couldn't say. So, was, like so I was in line every every night at Chow. With, it was like me and the Rastafarians. Right. right. <laughs> we, we didn't get our beans and rice. You know, <laughs> right. I actually had a lot of friends in prison that were Rasta. I think they, you know, they yeah. get those great hats. So. If if there's one thing, because I know, and we, we'll probably talk about this in part three, since we're again running out of time for this show, but. If you, what are some suggestions that you have? If you could think of one suggestion for prison reform, what what would that be? Um, you know, we we just need we need to start with compassion. I think the question that always gets asked when when pe- people do a terrible thing is, um, you know, like in my case, people would say, well, let's take a murder. You know, yeah. somebody somebody murders somebody, and the first question we ask is, what would you do if that was your child that was murdered? Mm-hmm. But what I think the way we start with that is. By asking, what would we do to that person if it was my child that was a murderer? murderer. You know, yeah. right? Um, and that looks very different because then we start th- talking about how can we make this person better, right? You know, instead right. of how can we punish this person, right? You know? But I think it's because we have a very angry world. And yeah, I think media drives that anger. Um, that you don't. I think that's what dictates a lot of this. Yeah. And, and I really believe judges, even though I think they try to make some sense out of all of it, they're still, they have to, they look at what the public's saying. They were always sure. really, their counsel, a judge is always counseled before they make decisions by another person. That's interesting. And I think that, um, and it's based on political perception. I, I don't think my time was too long or too short. Yeah. I mean, I, I actually thought, you know, it, it gave people time to heal. It gave me time to heal. Um, I just think it could have been um, more encouraged. There could have been more offered, you know. Right. I, I remember one time I got this uh, map from a National Geographic. It had like the picture of the planet at night, and, and and so it had like lights in different cities. You could see like Paris and this. And I laid it out on the table in the middle of the dorm room. A bunch of people came came out, and we were all standing around looking at it, and people were asking questions. They were honest questions, and so I remember somebody going like, "What's that there?" And I said, "That that's Africa, the continent of Africa," you know. Right. A lot of times in prison, you saw that, like the education was just, mm-hmm. and it's not their fault. It's just not been offered. So, sure. so we need to push that everywhere. I thought the insides of prison should be painted with like, oh, there should be science facts on the wall as you walk to chow. No, you're you know? right. And, right. You know, we we could make some really cheap changes that would change people's lives. Yeah. <sighs> It's incredible. I well, love every every time we have you on. I just I'm so intrigued and just thanks, genuinely interested in what you have to say. So I do look forward to having you back for part three. Yeah, we're very we're very appreciative, and um, we'll bring your wife back next time. Thanks. Okay. Yeah, your daughter yeah. maybe. I don't know. We uh, always do something. I think she'd break everything in here. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, probably. And yeah. then um, I don't know. We got a good week coming up. I think it's going to be warm today. Yeah, yeah. It's I'm going to be tortured. I have to take my daughters to some kind of PXY event. <laughs> Not that we don't like PXY. But, uh, <laughs> I don't know what PXY is. 98 PXY. It's 98. like a, a yeah. teeny bopper. Oh, All my God. Right. Am, I, am I like 60? <laughs> nice. The teeny bopper station. Oh, All my right. God. Can we retract that from the show? <laughs> Have a great week. I love you, Carrie. Love you too, Joel. See you later. See ya. Thank you. Bro.